Please open it to Judges chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. The plan was to do eight verses, but, you know, I didn't get that far in my notes. So we're going to do two verses today. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. On October the, on, on, on June the 11th, 1963, Vivian Malone and James Hood enrolled as freshmen in the University of Alabama. This was a historic day. Actually, it was a historic event because Malone and Hood was the first African-American students to ever be enrolled in the University of Alabama. They were escorted in by federal troops, and they were met at the door by Governor Wallace, who was there as a gatekeeper. He planned to keep them from enrolling. Can you imagine what Vivian and James were going through emotionally as they were walking to that admissions office? as freshmen right out of high school, coming into an environment that really didn't want them there at the time. So you can imagine some fear, some uneasiness, particularly for for James. He he was really afraid, and he needed some encouragement. And so Vivian shared with him a prayer that she received. The prayer was written on a piece of paper, and she gave it to him. The prayer said, Whatever may be our adversary this day, our Father, help us face it with courage. For in you it can be conquered when thou art with us. In faith we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Whatever may be our adversary this day, our Father, help us face it with courage. For it can be conquered when thou art with us. In faith we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Similarly, Gideon and Israel are facing an adversary, an adversary that has been a pain in their side for seven long years. Seven years this adversary have come into their lands and raided their lands, and this adversary has returned. And Gideon and 32,000 men have, have come together for the first time to face this adversary head on in battle. But before they go into battle, the Lord needs Gideon and his men and even us to understand that the battle belongs to Yahweh and not us. So that prayer that Vivian passed on to to James must be passed on to Gideon and to us as well. Whatever may be our adversary this day, help us face it with courage. For it can be conquered when thou art with us. Why? Because the battle belongs to Yahweh. This is the lesson of faith that we're going to learn today from the life of Gideon. So open your Bibles to Judges chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Please pray pray with me and for me. Father, as we come uh, to the preaching of your word, I, I do pray, Father, that you will move aside my pride. 
Lord. Move it aside, Father. Move me to the side and let the Spirit just take over. Let him just take over. We need the Spirit to take the word that is preached. The Spirit and the word, they always work together. So, Holy Spirit, we cry out to you that you will come and and be the counselor that we need you to be. We need you to come and give us encouragement. Some of us may need to be rebuked. You know where we are, Spirit. I pray you give us what we need and we will hear what we need to hear so that we can go back out into the world and live and fight one more week as the people of God in this little church here in the village. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that, that those who are here who may not know you, that you will be stirring in their hearts and call them into God's wonderful kingdom. Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you will take the gospel, use us to take the gospel to our neighbors, to this community. Holy Spirit, we cannot do anything without you. If you don't move, lives are not changed. If you do not move. So, Holy Spirit, I pray and beg that you will move today in all of our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The Lord wants Gideon and his 32,000 men and for you to know that the battle belongs to the Lord. So now let's begin to see how the Lord leads us to, to embrace this truth. First we, first, we see in the opening scene of chapter 7, we get a picture of Gideon and his men. Chapter 7 opens with, with Gideon and 32,000 men leaving Ophrah, le- heading south, leaving Gideon's homeland and his town. This opening scene is, basically, is really Gideon's response to what happened to him the day before. In other words, Judges 7 is related to what took place in Judges 6, verses 36 and 40. Because in those verses, remember, Gideon asked the Lord for another sign. It was a sign of the fleece. It was a sign that had a part A and a part B to it. Because Gideon wanted to, to know that the Lord was going to be faithful to his promise. He wanted proof of that. He also needed help to, to believe in God's promise. He needed help to submit to God's will. And so he asked the Lord for a sign, another sign. And God gave it to him. He answered the sign. He performed the miracle. So Gideon got his proof. He got his help. The Lord supernaturally moved in Judges 6, verses 36 and 40. And after the Lord moved, Gideon moved. Please know that. After God acted, Gideon acts. And so verses Judges 6 and 36 says, that when God did this, then Gideon's going to do what he's going to do in verse in chapter 7. Because verse 7, 1 is the application of what took place in those other verses. So after God moved, Gideon and his men left his town heading south. Jeroboam and all the people with him rose early in the morning and camped at the spring of Herod. Gideon leads these men out because he believes that God would be faithful to his promise to him. He leads them. He's exercising leadership. He steps out because he's submitting to God's will. God acted, then he acts. God moved, now he's moving, heading south with 32,000 men on foot. The spring of Herod is located in the south of the valley of Jezreel. 
And according to the text, the camp of the Midianites is north of them in the valley of Morai. That is, they are 10 miles apart from each other. They're that close to two camps, to two armies. So Gideon is getting ready for battle. He's getting in position. Remember, his, his name, his name that was given to him, Jeroboam, is, is a Baal fighter. That's what that name means. So he's getting ready to fight another battle. He's getting ready to, to fight the battle that God has called him to fight. And all signs point to success. Because remember, Gideon is still clothed in the spirit here. He's clothed in God's spirit. God has gave him this sign. God has performed a miracle. So can you, you can imagine he's feeling very confident right now because of what God has done. So everything points to success. Everything points to things will go Gideon's way. And Gideon is ready for battle. Look at your life. Reflect on your life for a moment. What are the things that you're praying for? What are the things that God has called you to? See, there are going to be times in your life when all the signs say move forward. Everything is lining up. The stars are lining up. God is opening doors. Prayers are being answered. And all the signs says move forward, head forward. And then out of the blue, the Lord puts on the brakes. All of a sudden, the brakes are on. Then you're confused. You're caught off guard because you're like, well, it, it seems like God was answering my prayer. I'm believing his promises. I'm submitting to his will. Then all of a sudden, now things just stop. But what is going on here? This is what happens to Gideon. He's ready for battle. Then the Lord says, no, not just yet. He puts on the brakes. Gideon is ready, but Yahweh isn't ready. Because he sees something Gideon doesn't see. He understands something that Gideon doesn't understand. And the same thing is for each of us when it comes to our life. See, there's an issue the Lord needs to address. There's an adjustment the Lord needs to make. One of the greatest plot twists, movie plot twists, is in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. And if you've seen that, you know the plot twist I'm talking about. The plot twist is delivered in one line by Darth Vader. Luke, I'm your father. The great plot twist. And so here, in, Je- in Judges 7, the Lord is getting ready to introduce a plot twist. He's getting ready to drop a bombshell of all bombshells into Gideon's lap. And the Lord tells him, the people you have with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Say what? <laughs> Bombshell. Plot twist. Just delivered in one line. And can you imagine being on the receiving end of this inf- new information? You'd be like, wait, time out. I mean, hold up, Lord. I mean, did I hear you correctly? It sounded like you said, I have too many men. Yes, that's exactly what I said. And then I'll be like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? Why didn't you tell me this when I sent all these people out to come join me for the battle? Why are you just telling me now when I'm 10 miles away from engaging in war? We've left my town. I got all these men. And then you come to me and now you say, Gideon, you have too many people with you. 
the 32,000 men with you are too many. Personally, I don't understand it. Because I think he doesn't have enough men. Because if you remember, the people he's going up against, I'm sure there's more than 32,000 of them. He's already outnumbered. And now God is saying he has too many. Judges 6, 5, it tells us that the Midianites will come in with all their livestock in their tents. And, you, and they come in like locusts. And you can't number them. It's so many of them. You can't, they can't be counted. There's so many. And so they have more men than Gideon. But yet God evaluates Gideon's army and concludes he's the one that's with too many. I'm like, what's going on? You see, the Lord interrupts and intervenes in the formation of the army. He can do this because he's sovereign. You see, he's sovereign over those who would go with Gideon to war. Gideon is not the one in charge. Yahweh is the commander in chief. And as a result, the Lord says these 32,000 men are too many. And as a result, I'm not going to give you victory with these 32,000 men. Something has to change. So why? The Lord has his reasons. He understands something that Gideon doesn't understand, and he sees something that Gideon doesn't see. You see, because giving the Midianites into their hands with 32,000 men will lead Israel to an undesirable action. It will cause them to give a response that is not pleasing to Yahweh. So after God delivers the plot twist, he, he gives Gideon the reason why he can't give them victory with these many men. He says again in verse 2, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. This Israel boasts over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Israel will boast over the Lord if he gives them victory with 32,000 men. Again, I don't understand it. To me, if I'm going to war, it's not I want to have more men than the people who has. I want to have more than they have. From going to battle, not less. And so this action that the Lord says is going to happen from Israel is a sinful action. Is the Lord being too picky? Is he being too picky? Is he just being an uptight God? Like, come on, God. I mean, 32,000? I mean, it's just 32,000. How are we going to be boasting in ourselves if we win at 32,000? Is he just making an assumption about his people? How does he know they're going to do this? The Lord doesn't deal in assumptions. He deals in reality. And trust me, he knows his people. And he knows you. You see, this is new information about Israel. They have a historical track record of being glory stealers, glory thieves. And the Lord knows this. In fact, in a previous generation, he, he warned uh, this current generation, he warned their forefathers what was, was going to be tempted to do, what they would be tempted to do once they got into the promised land. He warned them that once they got into the promised land and had victory and, and tasted success and, and had all the things that they wanted, they were going to be tempted to steal his glory. That's what success does to us. When we taste it, we have a tendency to forget God. And what did he tell them? He says, I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. He says, least when you have eaten and are full and have built good homes and live in them, 
And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then, you, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget Yahweh your God. He goes on, Beware at least you say in your own heart, My power and my might and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Listen to what he's telling you. Once you've gotten everything you wanted, once I answered every prayer, opened every door, and gave you all these wonderful gifts, then you're going to be tempted to say, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. Israel failed here, and so do we. The Lord knows that his people are prone to wonder. He knows that we are prone to forget him. And this is the reason why he intervenes into the formation of the army. This is the reason he hits the brakes. This is the reason he gives the plot to us. And that's why he does the same thing in your life. Least you say that my own hand have saved me. Now the Hebrew term that's translated boast can also be translated glorify themselves. Victory with 32,000 men will lead Israel to a false sense of pride. A false sense of success. A false sense of security. A false sense of comfort. It will cause them to think more highly of themselves than they ought to. It will cause them to think that the battle actually belongs to them. But it doesn't. For they will say, my own hand has saved me. You see, pronouns are important. The pronouns you use in your marriage is very important. If you walk around saying, me and mine, I'm telling you, you ain't going to have a good marriage. In your relationship with God, pronouns matter. It's not I or my, it's him and his. It's Yahweh. It's not us. It's not about us. Because this type of boasting will increase the size of your head. You will begin to drink your own Kool-Aid. You will begin to believe your own hype. And A.W. Tozer says, God would not tolerate in you self-sins, even though they are permitted and excused by most Christians. Self-sins, self-glory, self-sufficiency, self-dependency, self-trusting, self-reliance. Because when you're focusing on self, you think very little about the Lord. And similarly, God would not tolerate his people glorifying themselves over him. That's what he says they would do. They were not just boasting themselves. They would do it over me. <laughs> Think about what he's saying there. They would do it over me. The 2016 Oscars were live on February 28th. And the Oscars is an annual award ceremony that recognizes the best of the best in the film industry. They have best picture. They have best actor, best actress, best director. And every winner in every category, they will give an acceptance speech if they win. So let's say for a moment, Matt Damon, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but let's say for a moment Matt Damon wins Best Actor for his role in The Martian. They say he wins. He gets up, he walks up the stairs with a big smile on his face, he, he receives a golden Oscar, he goes to the mic. Then when he gets to the mic, he starts talking about how great he is, how awesome an actor he is, how much he just did how much he just achieved, and it's all about him. He's just glorifying in himself, and he doesn't mention or gives credit to anyone else. 
that had a role in that movie. But his focus is only on him. And so when you glorify yourself over the Lord, this is you doing the same thing. It's you don't recognize who he is and his role in your life. It's you saying, it's me, baby. I, I did this. I don't know the reason why I'm here. I don't know the reason why I'm successful. I don't know the reason I have a good marriage. I don't know the reason my kids are great. I don't know the reason I made it this far. It's all me. It ain't Yahweh. He's on the back burner of your life. So when you glorify yourself over the Lord, you don't recognize him. You don't give him credit. You look past him. It's you thinking the battle actually belongs to you and not the Lord. At some point in your life, the Lord is going to come and he's going to give you a plot twist. He's going to put the brakes on, on something in your life. It could be a dream. It could be a calling. It could be in your finances, your a relationship, or school, or wherever. He's going to interrupt your plans. He's going to come in and, and put on the brakes. He's going to be in all your business. Every area, if it ain't your business, it's his business. He's going to be in it. And when he puts the brakes on, it's for a particular reason. At least you glorify yourself over me. Because we're all tempted to say, well, it's my money. We're all tempted to say, well, I'm the one who went to school. I'm the one who, who, who spent eight, eight years in school, and I could do what I want to do. And so the Lord would put the brakes on to stop that type of mentality in all of us. I'm not going to give you success with all you think you've earned, because when if I give it to you, you're going to forget about me. You're going to forget about me. You're going to put me on the back burner. Please understand that Yahweh isn't in the business to make you look good. Think about that. Look at your life. Every area of your life, he's not there to make you look good. He's there to make himself look good, and that's a good thing. The Lord will not give his glory to another. That's what's at stake here. Listen, he slows down Gideon because he's not going to compromise his glory even to deliver his people from oppression. (laughs) That's what's at stake there. Instead, he's going to deliver them in such a way that he gets all the credit. that He gets all the honor. He gets all the glory. That's what he's doing here. I'm not going to deliver them in such a way that they get the glory, they get all the attention. I'm going to do it so I get the glory for it. Not them. So he would not compromise his glory even to deliver you for oppression. He would do it in a way that he gets the glory for it. If there was such a thing as a heavenly Oscars, then Yahweh wins best in every category. And in his acceptance speech, he can say it's all about him. Because it's what I call A-G-A-D. It's all God all day. I want to hear you say it. It's all God all day. All day in your life. So you can't forget, don't forget about the, the one battle that he's already won and fought for you in Christ. Even when it comes to your salvation, we understand that that's all God all day in that. That none of us can ever say to God, well, I'm the reason I'm right with you. Look at what I've done. Look at my ministry. Look at how many people I led to Christ. Look at how many Bible verses I've memorized. And I go to church every Sunday and I go to Sunday school and I, I disciple my kids. Look at all I've done, Lord. So, so I'm the reason why I'm a Christian. We can't say that about salvation. If you can't say it there, then you can't say it in any area of your life. 
It's all God all day and everything. It's never us. Christ is the one who makes us right with the Father. He is the one who, who took on the battle for us. So when you look at the battles that you're currently facing, the battles that you're going to current face in the future, you've got to realize God will fight those battles for you. You've got to hold on to that. You've got to remember that. And so if he's putting the brakes on something, it's probably for your own good. I was talking with Kevin out front, and, and he was telling me, you know, he was on um, a stair stepper at his home, and he was way up, and he looked down. He said, man, this is what it seems like to be, this is what it feels like to be seven foot. You look down on a lot of people. And so when you think about how big God is in heaven, when he looks down on your life, he sees a complete picture of your life. He sees the cliff you're getting ready to go off. So if he puts the brakes on, maybe because you won't go over the cliff. You don't see past the moment that you're in. You don't see past the hardship you're in, but God sees the complete picture. Picture. So the breaks is a blessing. Now, not feel like a blessing, but trust me, it's a blessing because the Lord is teaching you that the battle will always belong to me, and that is a good and wonderful thing for your life. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the breaks that you have put in my life. I haven't always liked them, um, sometimes hated them, but when I look back, they were always good for me. And so I pray for your bride here that as they move forward and go out for another week in, in this world, I pray that they will trust and know that the battle belongs to you. There is nothing that they're going through, Lord, that you can't deliver them from. There's nothing that they will be delivered from that they can take the credit for. It's all you all day, Father, in their life, not just in the moment of salvation, but, Lord, until they cross over to glory, you will be the one fighting the battles for them. And so I pray that you strengthen them in their faith, strengthen their trust in you. I pray for continued growth and love for you. And, Lord, I pray that in all that we do, that you will be the one who gets glory for it. And I pray for all these things in your son's wonderful name. Amen.